This episode of Innovation Chatalyst was recorded on March 4th at the CanDo Owners Group offices in Toronto prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to the NPX Innovation Chatalyst podcast, the podcast where we talk to innovative leaders in the nuclear industry and beyond. I'm your host, Margaret McBeth, co-founder and innovation catalyst at NPX. Today, we are podcasting from the beautiful offices of CanDo Owners Group in downtown Toronto. We're talking to uh, three of the wonderful women who lead COG. We have with us Sonia Qureshi. Sonia is the Director of Joint Programs and Services at COG. She supports COG members in achieving excellence in the performance of the reactors and has over 20 years experience in the nuclear industry. Uh, She's a U of T alumni from chemical engineering and also the chair of the Women in Nuclear Golden Horseshoe chapter. Welcome, Sonia. Also with us, we have Jackie Hornway. Jackie is a communications consultant who works with COG. She brings um, many years of experience in communications, brand management, stakeholder relationship management, uh, spent a lot of her career working with Ontario Power Generation, advising their executive team. Also background as an award-winning journalist, I understand. Um, Jackie is also a professor uh, in the McMaster uh, program, their Masters of Communication Management program, teaching reputation management. Uh, And interestingly, Jackie has served on on many boards, uh, but was uh, chair of the Durham Energy Initiative. Durham Strategic Energy Alliance, yes. Yes. Which which founded uh, the incubator program, now known as the Durham Spark Center. Great, welcome. We also have with us uh, Liette Lemieux. Uh, Liette is the Director of Research and Development Programs at COG. So she leads a, a very large and I'm sure very interesting portfolio of R&D projects that uh, contribute to the innovation and continuous improvement of the candy reactors. Liette also has many years experience in the industry in a number of uh, interesting roles, including director of radiation safety at Ontario Power Generation, experience in operations and maintenance, human performance, um, amongst other things. So really excited to talk to you as well. Me too, you. Looking forward to it. I want to start off the conversation talking a little bit about uh, Can Do Owners Group um, and the role that you play. So uh, COG is a not-for-profit organization. that has members from all of the CANDU operating stations amongst the world, including the supplier community, um, and runs programs supporting collaboration, information sharing, continuous improvement. Uh, members from Canada, Argentina, India, Pakistan, South Korea, China, to name a few. Um, so was just interested in um, understanding a little bit more about what COG does um, and the roles that you play. Okay. So uh, maybe I'll start sort of with the big view and then uh, Liette and Sonia can tell you about their particular roles. Um, Liette uh, is, leads up the research and development at COG and Sonia leads up the joint projects and services. So lots of collaboration opportunities in both of those places. In addition to research and development and the joint projects and services, as you mentioned, there's also a very significant information exchange program uh, that includes bringing people together for peer groups, uh, events, workshops, committees, 
um, that incorporates the Canadian um, members, but also, as you mentioned, all of the members worldwide. And I think you got them all, actually, except for Romania. <laughs> um, and uh, so it's really an opportunity for people and know for over 35 years, last year was the 35th year wow, of COG. Okay. And, and through that time, uh, this has been a, a tremendous opportunity for the utilities to share information, share operating experience, develop uh, research, and, and further the c not only the continuous improvement in the stations, but also a lot of innovation has come out of that, which I will not spoil it for Leanne and, and Sonia to tell you about. Um, but the real value of, of this is that, you know, the members can look at places where they have common interest in running these stations, uh, running the can-do plants, and through a cost-sharing model and a collaboration model, they can exponentially take some investment and do much more together than they could do separately. So that really is in its essence what COG does. Um, the other area, in addition to the information exchange, is also our nuclear safety and environmental affairs program, uh, which is very focused in part on the regulatory environment and ensuring the best outcomes and strengthening that again together, looking at what do we need together and, and building on that. Um, so when you look at all of that work uh, um, together, and you and you also had mentioned the suppliers, and uh, I'm being coached here to get a little closer. <laughs> um, when you look at the supplier participants, what they bring and the work that's been done through COG over the last few years is really to bring them into the mix as well because they play such an important role in the industry and in the success. And if you're going to have a good safety culture, if you're going to have a good quality culture, you need those suppliers uh, to be at the table as well. The other piece that uh, COG has really looked at in the um, last few years is recognizing that the industry, including those can-do utilities, are going beyond uh, the traditional nuclear plants and to a different model. And so COG has evolved too, because really what we're there is to serve the members and where COG is, is to serve the members. And so we've actually adopted a bit of a tagline of can do and beyond. And um, so I think Woody and Buzz would, would give us thumbs up for that <laughs> one. And, and so that's been a really exciting um, evolution of the organization. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about COG for me, and, and uh, it's been quite a learning curve for me in the last year since I joined COG, uh, it, it brings together a number of different types of organizations amongst our members and our suppliers. So you actually have um, the inputs from people who are gaining the operating experience and the work that's actually going on at the plant, working with the, uh, the researchers and the technical specialists who are identifying future research needs. And I know I'm kind of <laughs> focusing on research here, but after all, <laughs> it is innovation. Um, the, the whole concept of having that uh, in a collaborative network really generates some excellent dialogue. And, and recently, we've started bringing uh, more contact opportunities with our regular as well to ensure that we have all of the perspectives and input and um, COG has that unique because we're nonprofit because we're collaboratively funded we can leverage the funding that we do get from our members and get more from it and it's really kind of exciting to see what comes out of the back end of any of those investments whether it's research or joint projects or any of the peer groups that we're uh, responsible for overseeing uh, I think uh, COG has quite a unique footprint 
in the Canadian industry and, and, and more and more so not just in the Canadian industry, which is kind of exciting for me because I, I like all of the work that we've been doing in the last year, reaching out to the international community um, and, uh, and, and, and building those bridges so that we're bringing in more than just the Canadian learnings. We've now got international learnings that we can build on. So I can maybe add to that as well, um, just from my perspective in the in the joint projects and services area, you know, we've been able to, you know, utilize the collaboration model to actually extend the life of plants in Ontario. You know, as we know that the Ontario government has spending a lot of money right now in the big infrastructure projects in basically the world, I would say, um, that are happening at Ontario Power Generation and Bruce Power. And COG has a really big hand in that. One of our biggest projects at COG is the Fuel Channel Life Management Project and Spacer Life Management Projects. And they are directly doing research to support the licensees in getting those extensions from the regulator. So, you know, we're really proud of that fact. We spent uh, a lot of time and effort to work with our utilities, to Bruce Power and OPG, who have been the, the main um, the main participants in that project, but also Atomic Energy of Canada, now CNL, who were uh, original participants, have also contributed. Our supply chain is heavily involved. So we have the suppliers along with the utilities working together to really move this industry forward and to get the second generation out of our reactors. So, you know, without a Without that collaborative model um, that COG really offers, I don't think we would be in the same place we are today. So it's a it's a really great success story. Uh, we have a lot of other services uh, that we provide as well to our members. For example, one of the ones that um, you know is utilized quite often is our auditing service. We call it CANPAC. It's a procurement auditing committee, and basically what it does is it allows the utilities to come together and say, you know what, I have to audit supplier X oh, I have to audit supplier X too. Why don't we do it together? It, it saves supplier X a lot of, you know, a lot of heartburn because we're not coming in individually. And so, you know, we have a really successful program now being able to go into uh, different suppliers and audit them collectively. And that's just one of the examples that, you know, using that collaboration model not only saves people time and money, but it also really gives that opportunity to share results and, and work together in a really collaborative way. Yeah. Can I, if I can just yeah. jump on one of the things that Sonia talked about, the extension of the, the plants, right, and the operating of the plants, and what that means, you know, not just for the industry and not just for the members, but what that means for the people who are getting that electricity is that they're getting more value out of those plants. Mm -hmm. uh, the plants are generating more revenue, which, you know, is is really important for the people who are actually paying the, elect the electricity bills, right? That's not just for the companies who are operating, that's really relevant to the individuals in the public. And so, you know, COG's role is really about the doing and it's, it's not public facing, it's very much member facing, but the work that the members do through COG makes a significant difference in people's lives. And, you know, if we just look at what happened with Pickering being extended to 2024, with relation to the offset of greenhouse gas emissions as a result of just those you know few years of extra operation the ch the difference in terms of cost for the ratepayers and the consumers which ultimately are the residents of Ontario uh, you know huge impact so so it's really important things and and it's really exciting because 
it's about COG, but it's also about every one of the members that's involved. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of an exciting novel. It's really striting to me that, you know, COG is able to facilitate this level of collaboration and innovation that has such an impact for the utilities, the supplier community, but to your point, for the larger community, you know, um, who benefits from clean nuclear power, um, that, you know, we continue to extend the life of the current plants, um, but then also support uh, the industry as it goes beyond, can do and beyond. Um, Certainly, we have been hearing a lot about small modular reactor technology. Uh, Just came away from the recent Canadian Nuclear Association conference, where I think that was the main topic at just about every panel. Um, And certainly we had our Minister of Natural Resources up on stage talking about um, not just the importance of our current can-do industry, but moving beyond to different technologies and really the importance of nuclear in the climate change conversation. Um, So I was curious, uh, I guess, first question for you, and and maybe Liette, I'll I'll direct this one at you. you know, we talk a lot about innovation in nuclear, and that doesn't just mean small modular reactor technology. It sounds like you guys are doing really leading a lot of the innovation here. Um, is there sort of an example you can share around uh, innovation that, that you've seen um, that's been quite impactful? Oh, to pick one example. Um, there, there's one that's that's relatively recent and being deployed currently, and and we're still um, we're still gathering information on how much benefit. We know it's definitely a benefit, um, but I'm I'm going to descend into my chemistry background here for a minute and and identify something called a, it's a film forming amine, which is a, a type of coating um, that is injected into the steam generator system ahead of a, a unit shutdown, and this is particularly important because a couple of our members are. Uh, going through some major refurbishment projects (laughs) or major component replacement projects. When you shut down a system, especially a a metallic system, you need to protect it from oxygen and otherwise it will rust. I think that's generally understood. I'm I'm, I'm trying to be as generic as possible here. The way we have handled that in the past is we lay up those systems with water and some kind of chemical treatment. In most cases, it's hydrazine or something like that. Um, there's a lot of time associated with dosing up a steam generator. There's a lot of time with flushing that system at the end, and all of that time is uh, impactful to a maintenance outage timeline. So one of the uh, one of the pieces of research uh, that that we have done and continue to do is on the use of those types of um, chemicals that can be applied that actually reduce that. So we have uh, these new uh, film forming amines that are being injected that actually mean that you don't have to wet lay up a steam generator. You you don't have to worry about filling and refilling that steam generator and then flushing and reflushing it at the back end of an outage. And you can sa- save days on a maintenance outage. And it's a significant amount of money impact and a significant amount of time impact and a, a significant, in, significant increase in maintenance efficiency. So um, that's an innovation that has sort of progressed to the point where we're actually applying it. We've got all kinds of other innovations. I mean, how long is the podcast? (laughs) We could talk about it for a long time. 
Um, but there's a really interesting future about where we're going with innovation as well. Um, picking innovations that are using existing technologies and then building on them using artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, again, we're doing research here to try to reduce maintenance outages, but it can be applied to future technologies. Mm -hmm. It's amazing what can be done with uh, all of the, the exciting new technology that's being applied out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really interesting, sort of the application of more cutting-edge innovation to you know existing plants which have been in operation for many many years but then to your point looking forward to the next generation and how do we set that up for um, you know even more success by integrating these technologies from the start um, yeah so we'd be interested to learn a little bit about um, work COG is doing with the SMR um, industry mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's actually, there's so there's two things, and I think it is really important as we talk about the next generation that we also recognize that the plants that are operating today, to your point, there's a tremendous amount of innovation that has gone into them. And, and I actually, I compare this to, I have a 100-year-old house, and in 2014, we did a very extensive renovation. And if you come into my house, it does not feel like a hundred year old house, right? I have the most, I have granite, well, actually I have quartz counters, <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, it, it works like a new house. And I think that is really important as we have, you know, traditional nuclear plants that will continue to operate uh, well into the 2060s and potentially beyond, um, that we recognize that as a setting point. Um, and then when we say, okay, but now we also want to look in the future at how do we reduce the upfront capital cost? Mm -hmm. How do we go to off-grid applications, right? And so there, it's an and. It's, to me, it's not an or, it's an and. And I think that that's a, you know, a, a really good starting point. So, so and that's, I think, where um, Can Do Owners Group has really looked and said, it's an end. We're going to help continue to help uh, with asset management and strengthening operations of the nuclear plant. And like Pickering, make every, you know, the best day, the last day of operation. Um, and in addition to that, we're going to uh, look at SMRs and how we help the industry move forward using that same collaborative model, right? And so there's a number of different um, groups that have been uh, come together through COG. Uh, such as the SMR uh, Vendors um, Forum, which is where the vendors come together. And although they're competitors, they also have some common interests. When you talk about regulatory, when you talk about technology development, there are some things that are competitive, but there are also some things that, just like the can-do operators, that they can uh, look at to, to strengthen their model going forward. Um, in addition to that, it, COG has uh, built an opportunity for the operators to together look at what is the what are the best practices in terms of selecting um, technology, right? Um, so COG is doing that work, but it also works uh, very closely in collaboration with other organizations like OCNI, like the Canadian Nuclear Association, and just I realized I did a nuclear thing and said an acronym. <laughs> uh, the organization of uh, Canadian Nuclear Industries is OCNI, um, but as well as with CNA. And so uh, CNA and uh, COG have actually uh, been given the lead on the uh, Secretariat for SMRs to develop and move forward the roadmap. And there's some very specific things that is in C that are in CNA space. 
And then there are some very specific things that really work well with the COG model, and that's where um, COG is focused. Exciting. And I mean, certainly leveraging the wealth of expertise that you have in the within COG and within the um, member and supplier group in terms of nuclear operation, innovation, regulation. It's really, really yeah, fascinating. Some of, the same, some of the same considerations that go into the ongoing um, uh, operation and, and long-term operation of our existing nuclear fleet are going to be foundational pieces of information required for small modular reactors. Uh, if you need to uh, understand anything around uh, low-dose radiation or uh, health risks or environmental risks, um, well, that's the same for uh, a large nuclear power generator as a small nuclear power generator. And it, it may not have the same um, uh, extensive impact, uh, but some of those same foundational pieces of uh, research information are going to be required. And luckily, we've already done some of that. <laughs> so it, it, it just it makes sense for us to continue to build on that. We already have the relationships with some of the researchers. We already have the, the relationships and, and growing relationships actually with the university population. Uh, we are uh, engaging more and more of the university population, not just through, um, there's an organization called UNINI, the University Ex uh, Network. Yeah. University Network of Excellence in Nuclear Engineering. There we go, I was <laughs> trying not to use an acronym. Um, and so we, we work in collaboration with UNINI, but we are also working directly with universities to ensure that we are um, keeping on the cutting edge of the foundational research that's going on, ensuring that we're growing the knowledge base of the future, uh, the students that are coming through programs, that they're growing and learning not just about the current nuclear uh, fleet, but also about all of those new exciting technologies that, that is growing in the SMR portfolio. So mm -hmm. I, I think that um, there's, there's more to come from what we're doing at COG to, mm -hmm. to help the community grow and really deploy SMRs. I think that's really important, that point you make, too, about engaging the university communities, not just for the, the research aspect, but also building that workforce for the next generation okay. of nuclear, yeah, uh, be it part of ongoing can-do operations or part of, you know, SMR technology, and attracting, I think, um, you know, individuals with a, a different skill set, one that you might not have typically seen, whether it's machine learning or data science or, you know, advanced chemistry applications, that, that's quite important. And I know um, at COG, there's certainly a lot of diversity in your workforce. Um, you are leading gender diversity in our industry in terms of not only your leadership team being 50-50 uh, gender split, but throughout the organization as well. So would love to hear um, one a little bit about, you know, what that looks like um, and then your sort of your personal experiences in working in an organization that uh, that is so diverse and really equality focused. I, maybe I can I can start with that. Um, I've been at COG for about four years now, and when I first joined COG, it was the traditional COG that we knew of before. So it was an all I would say all male um, management team at that time, and I think in the last couple of years there has been um, a very distinct move towards you know looking at other opportunities and bringing in people who may not have already retired. You know. When I first joined COG, a lot of people came to me and said, you're not retired, why are you working at COG? <laughs> and I said, yes, that's true, but not only retired people work at COG. And so there was a very, you know, a focused effort to go out into the industry and bring people um, into the COG workforce that were, you know, 
mid man, you know, mid career, um, had some experience, um, but still had some, you know, uh, way to go in their right. career and wanted to grow and 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 that. So uh, I think ACOG has did a fantastic job. I think our, our president uh, Fred Demarker has has really you know um, put an emphasis on trying to to diversify leadership and you know and so obviously we have some diverse people sitting on our <laughs> our panel here today. Um, but it, it's it's been a really refreshing change. Um, even throughout our organization, our project managers, program managers all come from, you know, various nationalities, but very gender balanced, I would say. Uh, it's a lot different than just even a few years ago. So I really have to give uh, kudos to the management team and, and just the industry in general. I think we're all kind of moving towards that and, you know, really trying to uh, encourage and uh, professionally develop women. Uh, I would say I'm very passionate about that because I'm part of women in nuclear so that's also another a, a side passion that I have but I, you know I'm really proud to be um, you know a management uh, team member at COG because I can you know say that you know we've met that you know 50 percent uh, 20 by 30 or what was it 30, 30, uh, equal by 30 equal by 30 yeah, yeah. 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 too many numbers yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're there we're there and and, and I think, too, you know, what is interesting, Sonia mentioned Fred DeMarker, the president, who has really been very committed to this. But if, you're, if you were to ask Fred, he would say, we have not hired specifically, like targeted a, a certain, we have been very open to all candidates. We have hired for the best candidate. Um, but in keeping to Sonia's point, this idea of bringing in age diversity uh, certainly, and and that was to strengthen the company, and certainly it has in terms of, you know, I think we are seeing the benefit now of mm -hmm. the diversity of age, of gender, of national nationality, which comes a little bit more easily to Cog because of its international, um, uh, you know, uh, composition. Uh, but the thing is that you see the strength of that because mm -hmm. of the kinds of decisions and the kind of pers per, um, different perspectives. Uh, that you're bringing in. So it is, it's, it's a pretty dynamic and exciting place to be. And I, um, just a, a year before Sonia, started working with COG. And the difference is, is night and day in terms of, COG always had a lot of strength in the expertise from the people that were, had, had deep expertise in the uh, different organizations and the utilities. But now you are you know, coupling that with strong project management expertise and bringing in other competencies um, besides just that subject matter expert uh, competency. And, and it really is allowing you to get the best of all worlds. I think that's actually a really good point because one of the things I did notice was when I first joined, there were I would say majority of the staff were from the utility, so ex-utility um, staff. Now, however, I think there's a lot more diversification with even the skills that people are bringing. So they're not just coming from the utility space, they're coming from the vendor space. And that does bring a different perspective uh, to the business. And so I think that's a really important change. I think getting um, a nice balance between, you know, you, the utility experience you need. Um, we need that at COG. We're supporting the utility, so having people who understand what utilities do and how they work is, is essential. But um, but we also work with our vendor community, you know, very closely. So I think that's also a really key component that has really enriched COG. Like um, Jackie said, it, it really provides fresh perspectives. Yeah. Uh, I'm a retiree from uh, one of the... <laughs> 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 so, no offense. Offense. <laughs> no offense. so I represent 
both <laughs> sides of this this discussion, but I I, I value uh, not just the gender diversity. I value all all natures of the diversity because you actually get a better outcome. Uh, it it takes more energy. It does. It it takes a lot more dialogue and energy, uh, a lot more. Um, I guess rigor around listening and really attracting the right perspective to the table. But what you get out of that is just exponentially greater um, than if you didn't have that. And um, I have, you know, I've had an opportunity to look at diversity grow. I've had uh, maybe a longer career than (laughs) (laughs) because I've retired. Um, But you know, I, I will never actually leave the industry because I really love where it's going. I'm very excited about where it's going. And I think that a lot of the, the reason that it is uh, re-energized and really moving towards a bright future is because of the diversity. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that. I know I absolutely agree. And I, I think um, one of the barriers to that has been just it's such an information heavy industry. And, and to your point, you know, it's hard for anyone to ever retire because the knowledge that they have is, is so valuable. Um, and it can be difficult to transfer that on to the younger generation, but but it's so necessary to do it. Um, so I'll throw kind of a, a, a new question at, at you, but I, just because I'm curious, and it's a challenge we certainly face in, in at NPX. We have a, a young team. How, how do you go about information sharing with that, you know, younger generation of people that you're hiring into, into the company? Is it you know, are there formal systems for it? Is a lot of it just mentorship and, um, you know, bringing people along that way? Uh, it's, I, I'll, I'll start it. It's, it's a combination of, of opportunities and it really kind of depends on the individual's um, capabilities and skill set that they're bringing to the table. Uh, and then you look for um, mentoring opportunities if, uh, if what they really need is an, uh, uh, I guess, a, a risk-free place to to talk about challenges and get guidance on uh, how to address those challenges Uh, but it's also and I'm a big fan of this experiential learning so getting an opportunity to be deployed and actually be accountable and participate in a project that works directly with a a university or uh, one of the utilities uh, or uh, through one of the suppliers um, that can really increase the the learning curve. The you know that rate of learning increases pretty significantly uh, when an individual becomes accountable for an outcome. You, you definitely educate yourself more. You look for opportunities to learn more about well what it what actu- what actually is it that I'm responsible for, um, and I, I think that those are the largest support tiny little bit like I'm gonna say 10% of it is around training most of it is around experiential learning and mentoring that's been my experience yeah I would say um, at cog we've had actually a couple of really unique uh, opportunities I would in for example the field channel life management project was mentioning earlier we had a person from OPG seconded to COG. And so, you know, this was a senior leader, um, Kathy Charette. Shout out to Kathy (laughs) Charette. She was great. Uh, Miss you. But uh, she she basically, you know, was able to um, take on the lead role of that project and then really mentor the people around her. I mean, I looked to her for mentorship as well. She was fabulous. And like um, uh, Liette was mentioning, you know, that experience, that really being accountable for, um, you know, in a new place is really important. And, you know, she did that 
amazingly she's retired unfortunately so that's why she's gone but um you know recently you know rachna who's not here right now she went to opg um right. as a secondment yes, yeah. and we that's had another person from opg come to cog as a secondi um kind of like an exchange so those opportunities are really really enhance a person's you know experience portfolio and uh, you know i can speak for myself when i was um at a previous job i was also seconded to bruce power for a number of months and that experience has always you know stayed with me even though i was a very young engineer at that time but really you know those types of learnings are really important we do have some great you know senior leaders in our company that do take the time to mentor people and as they retire to their second or third retirement <laughs> you know we do try to keep them <laughs> close to our staff so that you know they can provide that advisory and that guidance role i think that's also really important to to keep to keep those people because like you said they have so much knowledge and so much depth um and experiences that you know we don't necessarily have because we're not building new reactors they were there when they were building and yeah. until we start to rebuild we're not going to get it <laughs> so we really have to utilize who we have right now and could i just add something here too because i uh, you know i'm at the the upper end of of, of my career curve um and I have opportunities to be mentored and learn from the earlier career people as well. And I, uh, it, it is just as much a of a learning curve for me that they're bringing all of these new pieces of understanding to the table and the experience that they bring. I am definitely open to learning from them as well. So it's, for me, it's definitely a two-way street. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. really important. That's a great perspective. And I, I love... Um, your talk about experiential learning and secondments. I think that's something that's so unique to nuclear, that opportunity to actually go and work for a, a supplier, work at a different utility, or really take on opportunities to be in the plant, in the field, leading projects. That's um, very exciting, I think, especially for younger people to sort of understand that that opportunity exists in our industry. Uh, I've certainly seen people have those experiences. And to your point, Liette, like just the the learning curve and the amount that they gain from that is is really exceptional. Um, and maybe that's a good point to change gears a little bit. Um, you all have you know very interesting careers and backgrounds, and I'd love to dig in a little bit further and and just hear about your personal journey and you know how did you get to the positions that you're in now, leading um, you know these fascinating portfolios of work. Do you want me to start? No, yeah. We'll go this way. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, so when I graduated university from engineering, chemical engineering at UFT, like you mentioned, I actually did my thesis in uh, nuclear. And I had a friend who was doing a co-op term at Atomic Energy of Canada. And so I, you know, threw my resume there and got hired. <laughs> and I spent almost two decades with Atomic Energy of Canada that then transitioned to Candu Energy after their Thanks sale. Friend. So, so, yeah. And it's funny because that friend then started to work for me when I came to COG. It's a very small industry. Yeah. So you should always maintain your friendships. Yes. That's a key to all young people. That's true. <laughs> maintain your friendships. Um, but at Atomic Energy of Canada, I did start in the technical side. So I was in design, process design mainly. And after a few years of that, I realized I wanted a change. And it wasn't easy to actually get out of that because my my management at that time really felt that, no, I should stay in here 
uh, stay in the technical side and I shouldn't and I really had an interest to move on to what they called the softer skills so something like cost engineering which was why do you want to go there <laughs> it's not technical you're an engineer you know what about your ring <laughs> and all of that and I'm like you know I think it's a learning opportunity and I fought a little bit to to get out um, and so and I had support from other management in the organization to make that move, but it wasn't simple. And I would just want to stress to, you know, anybody who's in a position and they want to make a change and it's not easy. If you really, you, you know, want to make that change into your, into your career path, do it. Um, you're going to regret it if you don't later. You're going to always ask, what if I didn't do that? And every change since then, and I've made a couple, um, throughout my career path more, getting more and more um, outside of the technical and more into the um, the softer skills like project management, business development, product development, and marketing. Uh, so it's it's been a great journey for me. I've loved every experience and every change that I've had, but it's it's not easy. And so if, uh, if you want to make those little incremental differences in your career, I would encourage it uh, because it enriches your whole portfolio. And I think I'm a better person for that. Maybe I'm not a specialist and, and that's okay for me, but uh, some people may love to be that specialist. And, and I think if that's your, you know, if that, what, that makes you happy, then go for it. Be that, you know, specialist in that specific field. But for me, it was great to have a really diverse uh, number of experiences in, in my career path. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's so interesting because I just was at, um, at Ontario Tech last week and was listening to Tom Mitchell, who's the chairman of Wano now, but of course was my boss when I was at Ontario right, Power Generation uh, where he, when he was president. And he was talking about this very thing, giving advice. And, and I think this, this goes actually back to our last question about this intergenerational relationship, right? And how important it is. All generations are important. That's part of the great thing I think here now is having that diversity. Um, but Tom was saying exactly that to uh, the students. He was saying there's kind of two ways you can go. You can go that very specialist way. Um, or you can look at something that is much broader and, and get different experiences, which really, if you are going to, ultimately, if you're hoping to be a leader, can really be of great benefit. And uh, I, Annette Verschellen, who is, uh, does the Enerstore, I think it's called, the, the, the company of the energy storage, I remember hearing her talk one time, and she said, you know, start in operations. Even if you want to be in corporate at some point, start in operations. And so for, my, for myself, I would say it's interesting because I'm very much a social science, communications, stakeholder relations person. But uh, when I moved from the newspaper uh, to OPG, I actually started in public affairs in nuclear. And I was very much in the plants, managing and working with the leadership on some of the technical issues. Eventually, my career took me to vice president where it was about corporate and it was about government and regulations, economic regulation as well, about rates and a lot of the, you know, managing the brand across the company, not just in nuclear. But the value that I got out of being in the operations part of the, of the company and not just in the plant and not just with employees, but that was a really important piece, right, is understanding employees' needs understanding the technical issues and how they translate for the public and 
for me, you know, one of the most rewarding things in my career, and I might be jumping ahead, <laughs> but was really working with those local communities. And you had mentioned Durham Strategic Energy yes, Alliance absolutely. off of the top. That's really how I got involved with that was, you know, really making that underst understanding that connection between what the communities need and what the um, what the province needs in our case uh, from electricity generation and and what's happening at the plant and having that connection so I think you know if I'm if I was talking it doesn't matter whether you're technical and want to broaden that the other way or if you're social science and want to you really need to understand that technical first and I actually when I teach the course I teach I talk about um, communicators are from Venus engineers are from Mars <laughs> <laughs> and and it's really about how do we work together Absolutely. right yes. and and bring the best uh, by working together with the skills and the competencies that we have together so I think that's um, really important wherever your starting point is I totally agree yes uh, I haven't always been in the nuclear industry. When I graduated from college, I was a chemical engineering technologist and immediately started working for uh, an aluminum mining company in their research division. And that's where I was bitten by the research bug. Um, and, uh, you know, the the marketplace back then for large manufacturing was changing pretty rapidly. And, and we went through a recession and a number of those companies closed. And I had to you know, when you talk about innovation, some of that innovation was self-innovation because you actually have to look for opportunities and, and broaden your thinking about what you can, in fact, do as a career. And, um, the, uh, you know, I worked for a number of other chemical industries uh, and then had an opportunity to become an at-home mom. I, my husband um, was, uh, was appointed to a position with Ontario Hydro back then. Uh, up at the Bruce Nuclear Development, and so we moved up there. Uh, but because I'm I'm a highly energetic individual and always needing to, or, or I, maybe I just need to have my attention <laughs> attracted by things, um, I, uh, I was appointed to the Police Services Board in, uh, in King Carden, and uh, that broadened my perspective about the community input and the, and the importance that nuclear can have to the community, and um, that really interested me. So when an opportunity opened up for me to, to start in the chem lab up at, up at the Bruce, I said, sure, sure, why not? You know, it was a five-month contract. Uh, my career was 22 years with Ontario Power <laughs> Generation when I retired. Um, and so, the, you know, I, I've had an opportunity to work from the shop floor up. And, and actually, at that point in time, never really thought that I would move into a leadership position. I really loved what I was doing. Um, I think uh, it, I think it, it took a couple of things happening for, for me to broaden my perspective. And, and one of them was... I had leaders who recognized something in me that I didn't really recognize in myself and challenged my thinking about what I could do, what I should do, what I could contribute, and, and how that would be of value not just to me but to the company. And that really mattered to me, having that conversation. And uh, I, you know, I took a risk and I, and I moved from uh, being in a, in a shop floor job to being in a management function job and really had the opportunity to learn from um, leaders who had gone there before me and um, I was I was willing to be wrong and willing to take a risk and and make a mistake and then own it and, and kind of move forward from there and as long as I was willing to continue to do that um, I found myself with uh, a, 
a leadership team environment that was willing to allow me to spread my wings. And so, you know, I, I, I went from chemistry into radiation safety and then from radiation safety back into chemistry and environment and then from there into human performance just because I was interested in the human factors of, uh, of some of the evidence of how work was being done at the plant and understanding how does human psychology fit into this. Uh, and then really had this wonderful opportunity to to do a secondment at the uh, Institute for Nuclear Power Operators in Atlanta. And um, and that organization evaluates the safe operation of nuclear power plants. Uh, INPO predominantly does the evaluations in the U.S., but they also second some of their evaluators to do WANO evaluations as well, the World Authorized Nuclear Operators Organization. Um, and uh, in that role... I had an opportunity to be an organizational effectiveness team lead. And that gave me some exposure to understanding the considerations from a senior leadership perspective, how to safely operate a nuclear power plant, how to deal with significant challenges um, while still continuing to safely operate a nuclear power plant. And and those leadership behaviors have stayed with me. Um, And I've tried to learn from them. I've tried to to grow from them. When I came back from my secondment uh, at IMPO, again, I had a leader that was willing to take a risk and put me in a fuel handling manager role. And uh, that was quite a learning curve for me because I didn't actually come from operations or maintenance or engineering. I came from chemistry. (laughs) Uh, So I spent a lot of my time getting this up mentoring from my staff where I would spend time out in the field with them, basically endorsing my inner two-year-old saying, hi, (laughs) what's that? How does that work? Um, And I learned so much from that. But I also gained a lot of, uh, I guess, respect and credibility from the shop floor staff because I was willing to get into rounds in a plastic suit and go out into right. the environment with them and really learn. Um, and that, you know, kind of builds and grows. And then um, finally transitioned into the radiation safety director role at uh, at Ontario Power Generation and, um, and became... Um, a mentor for other leaders, predominantly other other women leaders in the organization. But uh, I, you know, I, I I believe in mentoring everywhere. So I mentored my own staff. I mentored other people's staff. I'm informally mentored, um, and that has has actually helped me significantly in this role uh, because I don't I don't have direct accountability for what our members do. And, and uh, that's difficult for me because I'm a little bit of a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, uh, it, it means that I have to mentor and influence from uh, not a position of authority. And all of my learnings um, over the many years uh, have really led me to have kind of a skill set that helps here. But it, but it also opens me up to learning from others, from this diverse work environment that we have. Yeah, that's incredible. What I'm really hearing is the value of diversification in experience, those technical skills, the quote-unquote soft skills, which are just as valuable, um, but then also getting outside of your comfort zone, trying those new opportunities, taking those new opportunities um, as, as so highly valuable. Um, and those are all, like all amazing, incredible journeys. I love the term self-innovation. Yeah. That's, that's so wonderful. Um, so now I guess my question is, how do you take that, that experience and that self-innovation and apply that to the teams you lead in the sense of encouraging continuous in- innovation and creative thinking and, um, and continuous improvement so I think it's really important that any leader, um, actually it doesn't even have to be the leader, it, it can be anybody in a team 
a team member, basically, you know, having the ability and the the opportunity to just voice their opinions at meetings and giving that empowering them to understand that what they say matters. And it's not about, you know, where you sit in an organizational chart. It's, you know, you are a member of this organization, you have um, a right to your opinion and a right to your perspective. And we should all be open to that and learn from that, learn from each other. And so, you know, putting people on you know, a training uh, regime is great. You know, that's kind of the management part of people. But but really, I think that the important part, and I mean, I, I see Liette, she, she does it extremely well. And I, I learn from Liette all the time. I tell her that she's an amazing mentor. Uh, but, uh, you know, she really gives everyone the opportunity to speak. And, and I think at COG, actually, we have a really unique um, organization because we're small and we're nimble and what we have a lot of lunch and learns together. I'm sure it's yeah. very similar for NPX, sure, yeah. right? You're, it, it, it's yeah. very analogous that way. Yeah. And everyone, I think, feels safe. You know, they feel safe to raise their hand and say, you know, I, maybe I don't understand or maybe I don't agree with this, you know, and they, they feel safe to do that. It's not that they're going to be, oh, why did you speak? That was not your place <laughs> to say such and such a thing. Yeah. So I think giving people that opportunity is really good. If you're not part of an organization, um, you know, I think Liette was talking about, you know, having people in her organization that mentored her or helped her bring her up. Um, I also think letting people understand that they also need to self-advocate for themselves is important because you're not going to, not every organization has that in place, or you may not be um, in, in a group that has a leader that maybe is aware of that. Um, so you, you do need to be able to self-advocate. And I think letting people um, be comfortable in in their space is really important um, because they will grow with that. They will really learn. And, you know, the most rewarding thing is when you see people who have worked for you, you know, are now managing other people. That's great because you feel like, okay, maybe I contributed <laughs> a little bit there, you know, and made them a better leader. I, I think that's, that's superb. And I really encourage... Um, my staff to you know think about where they want to be and and plan it. it 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 doesn't always just happen naturally or organically sometimes you have to do a few things you have to put some effort into it um, to get to where you want to be um, but that being said you know it, it's really what how much effort you want to put into it I don't, I don't think there's a limit and so you know we just have to encourage our people to to, to, to think like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I think everything Sonia said, and I think the other piece, if you step back from an organizational management perspective, a lot of it comes down to principles and how you set the culture within the, within the organization. And, you know, one of the things I've really um, been proud to be part of, but also observed with COG over the last few years, is just this real commitment to developing people from within. And, and looking at succession planning, so from a, from a business perspective, it's a really great idea to do it anyway, <laughs> um, but also from a people perspective, right? To look and say, how are we going to help people develop to be the fullest uh, that they can be within their careers in terms of what they want to do? And I think as a leader, if you can look at what is it that people want to do and open up 
the opportunities for them. I mean, as a leader, you can't do it for people. All of the things Sonia just talked about and that Liette talked about, they talked about, I chose this, I took this opportunity. And I think a lot of times if we just get out of people's way and give them those opportunities. The other piece goes back to, I think, something that we were talking about earlier with the secondments. And I would also add to that some of the things that COG does in collaboration. And um, Liette mentioned Unini earlier. Mm -hmm. And I know... Um, Excuse me, for example, last year, COG collaborated with Ontario Tech to have one of their capstone students actually do some work on a project here at COG. Oh, wow. and, um, and that is part of that whole idea, right, of opening up opportunities for people and giving them the, the chance to walk through that door. And whether that's collaborating uh, within the organization or with other organizations. And I think the COG, if I, to go back to the beginning of our conversation, really does that um, both within itself, but it's also a great tool for uh, all of its members to do that as well. So I think there's, uh, it's really about setting, setting the parameters within which people can take their own journey. I think and I think the question around what um what you do to develop your people is extremely important and, and is a leader's job. Uh you know, we are talking about developing the future of the nuclear industry and and the nuclear industry is a people industry. Uh one of the things that I've found most difficult in in really helping people to be th the the future opportunity they want to take uh, is is in learning how to how to listen. You know, we have uh, two ears, one mouth, um, and when you listen to your people, that's actually when you have an opportunity to really engage them in what their what their succession plan, what their development plan needs to look like. And when you work in an organization like Cog, that. Uh, that doesn't have any barriers that basically says anybody who has the capability and the desire to do something ought to have that opportunity to do it and you know we have a recent example where we've been working on a uh, on an office renovation project and one of one of Sonia's people had actually said you know what I'd like an opportunity to to help with that <laughs> and and help became lead <laughs> um, and, and she's and and Sonia's not backing off from providing support to mm -hmm. that individual while while having I've this become opportunity. an interior designer now. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm going to add that to my resume <laughs> skill set. And, it, and it's been excellent. I, I really enjoy the new space. Um, but it's looking for those um, those stretch. early yeah. early cues that mm -hmm. somebody is is ready for a stretch, is interested in something that also aligns with something that the company needs, and then figuring out how do you support that person, and and having that interactive dialogue and you know the the opportunity to provide positive feedback cannot be underestimated it really is very very important mm -hmm. uh, and the feedback and the coaching for closing a gap um, that's an accountability for for the leader to do uh, something you know and if you're my folks I wish I could do this more for <laughs> you I, than I than I have been able to in the past year but um, that's it's my accountability to do that and any um, any gaps or risks ought to be mine to accept, but the individual themselves also has to reflect on any kind of performance feedback that they're getting. Mm -hmm. But positive feedback on a development opportunity is really difficult to do. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the opportunity, um, and I've, I've been at the receiving end of this, and it's been very valuable, and so I try to do it as well. The specifics around mm -hmm. it are really important. Hey, you know, um, 
Sonia's person. You you engaged yourself in this, and it really had a positive impact. And you know, here's how you did it. That was important. Those those types of commentaries in a in a conversation really continue to engage that person in wanting to continue to grow. Um, and those are the types of experiences I've had in my past. Yeah, that's really. I think. Uh, feedback is such an important piece and the specific feedback. I think there's quite a bit of research that shows that often women don't get feedback, you know, particularly if they're working for male managers, they're not getting the specific feedback they need to grow. So it's really, uh, I think that's such an important quality of leadership. Um, And to your point about sort of having your own journey um, and laying the groundwork for people to be in the driver's seat uh, is really interesting as well. And it kind of brings me to a a point I wanted to bring up around entrepreneurship in nuclear. Um, And certainly through the Spark Center, there's actually an incubator for startup companies, but there's also this idea of um, entrepreneurship within existing organizations. And it sounds like COG is really sort of letting people, um, you know, raise their hand for an opportunity or put an idea forward. So maybe Jackie, I'll ask you um, your opinion about the role of entrepreneurship in the industry and then maybe open it up to just entrepreneurship and innovation within the organizational culture of COG. Yeah, so I I think that you said two words that really go together, which is entrepreneurship and innovation. (laughs) And, you know, I think especially for an industry that came from a very hierarchical type background, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that to look for those opportunities, there's actually a word, entrepreneurship, yes. right? And and so I and I think it's a great word. And when I used to be at Ontario Power Generation, I often thought that a lot of times people would think, oh, I can't do that. And you can't unless you ask. And then sometimes you're surprised, right, at the answer. And so one of the things that we did while I was at OPG was to engage, and actually we were one of the founding members of the Durham Strategic Energy Alliance. Um, and eventually, I, for a couple of years, I was president when we started the Spark Center through the One Network with government. And a lot of this comes back to relationships and developing relationships and to Sonia's point about it's a smaller industry than you realize. and. But beyond even just the nuclear component of the energy sector, there are a lot of connections that can be made. Uh, and I really, it really comes back to this idea that if companies, and I see our companies doing that, I see the members, the COG members doing that, is really uh, driving innovation and driving entrepreneur, entrepreneurial um, behavior. And if you look at XLab, at uh, OPG as an example. If you look at what Bruce Power is doing with NII, if you look at some of the things that New Brunswick Power is doing, that's just here in Canada. You know, internationally, there's probably other initiatives similar. And I think that there's a recognition by the um, industry that if we are going to continue to grow, uh, you know, the old, the old saying about if you're standing still, you're going backwards. And I think there is this recognition and and some promotion of that. And uh, some of the things that it was Canadian Nuclear Partners at OPG, now it's Laurentis, um, the uh, medical isotopes and what's been done in the industry. All of these things, even I would say some of the um, work uh, developing the digitalization and the artificial intelligence and uh, the 3D printing that's going on within the organizations now was because they were able to tap into uh, into that and, and to feed it. So I think it's hugely important. I, I, would, I would like to add that I think one of the things that um, COG has the opportunity for, and this is actually 
when I first joined COG, I was actually in the information exchange area. And in information exchange, um, we have a lot of peer groups. So these are individuals from, you know, the, the utilities, our members that get together on vi- and, and look at specific topical areas. So, you know, asset management, equipment liability, um, you know, fire protection, whatever it may be. Uh, and those are really great incubators in a way to think of a new, you know, what is a problem that we all share? And how can we now, you know, solve this problem collectively together? And so those are little, so COG almost has a whole bunch of little incubators in all of our peer groups and task teams and technical committees. And then what we do is we say, okay, if we want to develop, um, you know, it may be in research, we can, you know, we throw it over the fence into the research and development area and Liette's area, or we can say, no, we actually want a very specific solution. So we'll throw it over into my area and say, we'll do a project. And we'll get, you know, we'll get somebody to actually execute the work that we want done. So, you know, I think we're really positioned well at COG to to help with this entrepreneurial or innovative thinking. Um, you know, we, we're set up for it. That's that's our whole basis of our model is that collaboration model. And I think until you start to collaborate and talk to each other um, and get that really diverse perspective, then that's when the innovation will occur. Mm-hmm. So, And I think where the X Labs and all of those other um, things that are being done within individual organizations, to Sonia's point, I think there's this huge opportunity then to take some of those and say, okay, we're all doing these different things. How do we do that in that cost sharing model and in a way that we bring all of those diverse perspectives and just where there's common interests, uh, take advantage of that exponential uh, opportunity, right? Absolutely. And uh, one of the initiatives that we're undertaking this year is to uh, to put together a workshop. It's it, We're calling it an innovation workshop. I'm not done on the title yet, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm, I'm sort of sharing accountability on that with uh, John Suwagi, who is our Director of Information Exchange. Um, building on what, what both Sonia and Jackie have said, um, we have... We have some uh, incubators that that don't necessarily um, have all of the avenues available to them to really go and and spin out this entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial uh, opportunity. So right now we think that that is something that we COG can be working on. And and so we've been working with uh, other institutions like uh, the Electric Power Research Institute, uh, with um, ANRC, which is a, an organization in the UK, um, the Nuclear Innovation Institute, to try to figure out how do we how do we help our current members uh, apply all these innovations by building on the internal things that they're doing, you know, with with OPG and the X Labs, or with NII, with NPX's work that's going on up at the Bruce. Um, I think the, um, the the opportunity really is around the communication of what is possible as opposed to what's not possible. And I think in the past, because we've had this hierarchical structure um, that has uh, kind of stymied the opportunity for innovation at every level of the organization, um, those doors are breaking open now it's uh, we're we're looking for and and seeing more and more people step up to say hey i i have an idea i think it's got value i've tried it in this tiny little area over here but i think it's got more applicability across the board there are definitely more and more leaders who are looking for opportunities to say okay i'm going to give you the opportunity to pursue that what help do you need Mm -hmm. and that question what help do you need really opens up and fosters that future entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial whichever direction it's going 
It's so exciting. I, just such a dynamic time in our industry. I, I know uh, Barath, who's our uh, uh, president at NPX, he always jokes that his first co-op in nuclear safety analysis, his manager first day said, don't change anything. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and certainly when I started, even when I started in this industry, um, it innovation wasn't on the tip of everybody's tongue. Now you doesn't seem like you can go to a nuclear event or you know workshop without innovation being somewhere in the title. Um, but I think that's so exciting, the mindset shift, the embracing of innovation, and organizations like COG that can really facilitate that collaboration, are facilitating that collaboration, but to move that forward into the future of the industry is super exciting. So wonderful. Um, just a couple last questions. I, I'm uh, curious, you're, you're all, um, you know, busy leaders, um, and the nuclear industry, it, the pace never, <laughs> never dissipates, <laughs> particularly <laughs> with the uh, refurb happening. Um, so just curious, you know, how do you stay balanced? How do you stay energized? How, how do you come through the door every day ready to lead a team? <laughs> coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of coffee. <laughs> what, what is the secret? <laughs> if there is one. Cool. Uh, I, I've learned over the years that I actually have to um, have to be cognizant about my work-life balance, uh, and that I'm no good at my job if I'm exhausted and stressed. And um, you know, I, I have an extremely supportive husband. I really cannot. I can't hide George. He's <laughs> a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, we really enjoy, and I've always enjoyed camping. And that gets us out into nature and to, uh, to really, uh, I guess, appreciate the, the natural environment that we have here in Canada, that we can get out and really appreciate it and, and have that connection to something that we're actually helping to continue to sustain by what we do is, as a job. And so that gives me more meaning when I come back into the office and I bring that piece with me for a little while. Um, <laughs> and then and then I recognize that I need to go in and recharge that again and, and look for moments. But even during the workday, sometimes just, you know, popping into Sonia's office and we just, you know, talk about life that's going on. That can give me a connection as well. I don't know if it works as well for, for <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping it does. Uh, but I really appreciate that kind of uh, connection at work that's not just about work. Yeah, I mean, I can add, uh, you know, in this job as well as my previous job, the people that you work with are your friends. You know, you, I say I grew up with those people. They're, you know, friends that I, even though I don't work with them anymore in my in my previous um, organization, you know, those are lifelong friends that I'll that, that will stay with me forever. And so I really cherish that. And so having a really, you know, good environment to work in is important. But when I go home, I have three kids. Um, I have a busy life. I, I do travel a lot for my work. So I'm really boring when I go home. I want to binge watch Netflix <laughs> uh, with my kids if I can, if it's appropriate. Um, otherwise, I do that with my husband. But uh, we, you know, we don't camp. We glamp. Um, so I like hotels. <laughs> I really don't want to do any work. If I'm on vacation, I really want to rest. Um, but I do have a very supportive family. And I think that is important is to say, you know, you, you, we can't be perfect in everything. So let's be imperfect in everything and be okay with that. And that's a happy balance. Uh, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, we're, we're so 
focused, uh, you know, this whole Instagram society that we live in, it, everybody looks perfect. Everybody has a perfect life. But really, that's just a snapshot in their life. Highly curated for a moment. Lighted, yeah. Probably not good cog lighting right now that we have. But, you know, so it, it's, it's what's real to you mm-hmm. is what should be important to you. So I think it's just, yeah, like what Liette and um, I'm sure Jackie will say the same thing. It's, it's getting that balance um, and just being happy in the small things, you know, playing board games with your family, you know, cooking with them, just that, that kind of fun, taking a walk outside, you know, I think that's really important. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, a glamorous vacation somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, 100% what uh, both Liette and Sonia have said. Uh, ironically, maybe, I actually teach a work-life balance <laughs> course <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> First, I need to teach myself. Um, maybe do a little bit more work yeah. on that. But, you know, for me, it really, there's a couple of things. One is, first of all, like, there's a certain amount of sleep that I need, and I need to eat well. So I have to take care of those things um, because I do work a lot of hours. Um, but really, um, then it comes to me, it's what do I get charged up about, right? Um, there's a lot of hobbies that I think, oh, I would like to be playing the guitar. I would like to be sewing. You know, my husband has become like a running joke. Um, he, he smirked when I bought the sewing machine that is still in the box. Um, <laughs> but for me, what keeps me grounded is the people that I work with. And, you know, in addition to a wonderful family who uh, and, and so it really comes at the end of the day to the relationships, whether that's with my family, whether it's th- with the people that I work mm-hmm. with and uh, the people both at COG and uh, the other clients that I have, but also the people who are working with me at my own organization. And, and, and it's those because those are the everyday conversations and they are either going to energize you or they're going to bring you down and they're going to do that collectively, right? So it's just trying to stay to those principles of, you know, what do I want out of life? We only potentially, we don't really know, but maybe we only go around once. So this is the journey is the destination and trying to just keep that every day in mind. And, and also I'm just hugely energized by the work. Like that is also the truth. You know, there is just so, to your point, so much exciting. And, you know, while we talk about innovation, we are building this, you know, Fred actually has the saying about we built COG on the, on the shoulders of giants. And like, there are so many people behind us, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in the past that have al- allowed us to, as an industry, have the safety, the level of safety, have the le- level of reliability, the level of performance that is actually giving us the permission now to say, oh, you know, we're going to kind of go and do these entrepreneurial things. We could not have done that if we did not have this exceptional safety and performance record uh, at our plants that has allowed us to build on that and to build and to have that public support. And I think that's the last going back to the point of relationships, the energy that I get from, you know, when I think of people like uh, Mayor Dave Ryan in Pickering, who, you know, has just been such a phenomenal a champion for this industry, but at the same time has to be a champion for his own community. And when I get up and I'm working, I'm thinking about people like him. I'm thinking about, you know, people in the community that I worked with, people in the industry I work with, and what is the impact on their lives? Because what we are doing has really real consequences for the people in those communities. It has really real consequences for everybody who lives in a jurisdiction 
that is counting on nuclear to supply, which in Ontario is like 60%, you know, on a regular basis of uh, clean electricity. And, and I think that having that, you know, keeping in mind that higher purpose of what we're doing actually just energizes me so that, yes, I do work a little bit on the weekend. My work-life balance is not probably <laughs> Yeah, that's actually be. true, Jack. You did call me on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good yeah. point. <laughs> but I just love talking to you, and yeah. it energizes me. So <laughs> I think that's so wonderful. And, um, you know, it, it is a small industry. We talk about, you know, it's a small industry. But one of the reasons it is a small industry is because people love this industry. And because of the, leave, yeah. the technology, the integrity, the wonderful colleagues and and just the the history right it's um it's an incredible industry to work in it's an energizing industry to work in and beyond the individual companies the 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 peer group the you know group the collective it's, it's <laughs> incredible collective, um yeah. there's so much support um and it's yeah it's it is very energizing that that's amazing um as a final question i'm i'm curious as to what you are all curious about. So anything you can share around maybe a, a book you're reading or podcast you're listening to or something that's that sort of um, sparked your curiosity recently that you'd, you'd want to share? I, <laughs> uh, I've taken to, uh, to commuting. I have a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, so I, I don't feel as bad the fact that I'm, I'm driving myself. But what that, that gives me is an opportunity to actually listen to some, some books and um, I listened to, and it, it cut, there's a theme here for me. And anyway, I, I listened to something called the three-day effect, and it talks about the um, the psychological the psychological benefits of spending a 72-hour period out in nature, in in some way. And uh, it was it was fascinating to me the 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 research that's gone behind that because um, you know we're talking about people who've been significantly impacted by uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome so they actually have some vets groups that go out into nature um, former um, uh, horrible stories about sex trade workers and so on and and how they can recover and and it's part of the overall uh, prescription for them to be able to recover so um, I'm curious about reading more about that because I'm, I, I am an amateur student of, of psychology, just human psychology in general. And so that's what sort of prompts my curiosity. I read books like Malcolm Gladwell because I'm always kind of interested in, well, you know, how does the crowd think? And, uh, and I, I actually think it's, it's helped me in understanding um, how to move forward in the, in the nuclear industry. But I'm interested in it whether or not I'm working in the nuclear industry because people are in. Interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. I was actually listening to an interview with um, a woman yeah, just yesterday who had severe uh, brain injuries, and the curative factor was exposure to nature and spending time in nature. And you made the point earlier about you know kind of being part of an industry that uh, that impacts our environment so positively. I know uh, our office is up in King Carden in Bruce County by Lake Huron, and there's just nothing as relaxing and resetting as being in the beauty of nature and being mm -hmm. a part of it. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 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 Do you want me to go? Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a bit of a binger. I have several books on the go, <laughs> um, but they kind of divide uh, between, 
you know, so I'm right now I'm working on some facilitation skills, partly to integrate into my teaching and my practice. Um, and so I'm reading a book on that. And, uh, but at the same time, I also, uh, to the point of podcasts, I love to keep up with current events. Obviously, it's part of my job, but it's also a bit of a passion. And I do have to give a shout out uh, to the Hurley Burley, oh, yes. which is a yeah. great political <laughs> podcast, which actually was at CNA. Uh, but when we are on our way up north to commune with nature, um, we listen to it. Uh, we are religious fans of it, my husband and I. So uh, <laughs> absolutely, though, that kind of media. And uh, and then I also love historical fiction, especially when it's set in different places so that I can understand better um, culture, different cultures, and also the events that happen to people that have led them to where we are today. And I think when you are working in relationship management, uh, the more you can understand not only about people as they are today, but how they got there, um, and so a lot of times if you pick the right historical fiction that has is based around some real events, it really gives you that great insight uh, to better be able to relate to what people are going through in their lives who are not necessarily, you know, in my case, like, you know, Scottish, Irish, whatever, who knows, <laughs> right? It, it gives you a different perspective. So I'm, I've got a few on the go like that too. Any that are particularly of interest or you'd recommend? Um, well, right now I'm reading What the Body Remembers. Um, uh, which is set in India. Uh, but I also um, went through, Ken Follett has a series that's all about the 20th century. And they're like, I don't know, like 1,200 pages each. Um, and they take from 1918 <laughs> right till the fall of the Berlin Wall. And it really, the book, you know, is set in Europe, it's set in Russia, it's set in, in the U.S., and it really gives those perspectives. And then between, you know, people who were in Germany during the time, for example, of the war, people in England. And then if you just, you know, fast forward that and you start to look at what, we're, what the political landscape is today, obviously this ended at the fall of the Berlin War, but there were a lot of things that really um, provide uh, perspectives to the political landscape that we're in right now and some of the things. And same with, uh, you know, what the body remembers. It's about a particular time uh, going back not quite 100 years ago, but um, it gives more perspective in terms of what's happening in Asia today and how we are in the places that we are and what are some of the things behind that. So That's fascinating. Great yeah. recommendations. So unlike my colleagues, uh, I don't have a lot of time to read. <laughs> <laughs> you're still, in the, you're still in the little, the little kids. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not little anymore, you'll get there. You know, one, is, one is applying for university, so I've been helping him a lot uh, for the applications. But, um, you know, I would say, um, even though it's not in a book, but I, I'm really interested um, always in uh, the world politics. I think that's something that um, does pique my curiosity. I'm interested in different cultures, the way we relate. There's so many things right now in the world that are not right, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do do like to um, read about those types of situations. And it, it may not be the most enlightening in terms of, um, you know, it, it's it's not necessarily like a textbook or, you know, but it's, it's one of those things that I am passionate about. I think we're, there's so many good people in this world and a few people will you know bring everyone else down and and we we focus on differences versus focusing on you know what makes us all human what makes us all tick we're all this we're all human beings that want to do good in the world want to progress want to do good for their family and um you know i'm so proud to be canadian you know when i travel i feel that that's something that you know that badge of honor almost like a canadian flag because we are so 
uh, considerate of others and and we and we're not as judgmental um, or or that to to differences and and that's something that's really close to my heart and so in the community um, I think you know I work uh, with um, some other organizations uh, for like for for new immigrants that come into the to, to Canada and help them find housing and and so that you know make makes me happy that I'm able to contribute in that way or to fundraise for for people who you know are not as fortunate so I want my kids to be involved in that type of um, environment so that they also learn right because it, to be a good contributing member of society I think is important um, I come from immigrant fa- uh, parents you know who came here uh, very far away from their their home country with no support and you know they had to struggle and make a difference and they gave us this opportunity they gave us this platform to do to be you know um, the best that we can be and they really supported us they struggled a lot and so you know I really respect them for that and I and I saw that with my eyes but my kids may not necessarily be exposed to that because they're they you know we are already here uh, so so to how how can they be exposed to that type of you know um, environment to really encourage themselves to also be a, a good contributing part of society I think that's important um, and then also when I do have extra spare time I like all my win events my nuclear <laughs> <laughs> events <laughs> The um, Win Global yes, Conference, October fourth to eighth in Niagara <laughs> Falls. Everyone show up. It's a global conference. It's you know Canada hasn't hosted this conference for I believe twelve or fourteen years, and so it's been a very long time. So it's a great opportunity to um, you know be in a conference that is at an international level that will hopefully we are hoping to attract our goal is 900 people so wow. cna watch out yeah. and when global is on your doorstep yeah. <laughs> and well and having have gone to many win events they're always fabulous you guys get the greatest speakers and it's always such a great balance of technical topics development leadership you know and really interesting speakers so very much looking forward to it please come everyone come (laughs) men and women men come please Amazing. Um, if people want to find out more about Can Do Owners Group or what's going on at COG, how yes. can they do that? So if you are a member of one of the utilities or the supplier participants who are members of COG, you can actually sign on to go on the member website. And not only do you get you know all of the stories that we cover on an on a ongoing basis of current affairs, but there is a library of research, of information, of operational uh, information, a database of over 45,000 operating events that you can go in and explore that may actually give you you know, a shortcut. You don't have to reinvent the wheel if you go into the database and pull some of that uh, best practices or experience that's already happened. Uh, so that is uh, www.cogonline.org. Um, But also, if for some reason you're watching this and you're not in one of those organizations, we also have a public website, which is a portal into that world that also gives you a lot of the information about COG, how to access uh, some of the things that are going on in the industry, and has a a a news magazine uh, page that keeps up with the regular uh, current events, and that is cando.org, www.cando.org. And I would absolutely (laughs) encourage people to check it out. Uh, You guys do fascinating work. Uh, Liette, Jackie, Sonia, can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to me today, share your stories. It's been fantastic. Thanks thanks for having us. I learned some stuff from these guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the NPX Innovation Chatalyst Podcast. 
To hear the full podcast and to subscribe, you can go to Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever podcasts are available.